there's a lot of important things to talk about this morning. So in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start in the 16th verse and we're going to go to verse 25. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 25. Jesus is, I love how he tells the truth, even when the truth is not what we want to hear at that moment. You cannot fault Jesus for ever lying to you. He tells you the straight truth. And so Jesus just talked about the importance of the gospel and how the gospel is to be lived out wherever we are. Your place of work, your family, the Thanksgiving dinner table. You're supposed to let your light shine and you're supposed to be a walking version of the gospel by your life and the way you live. And that sometimes you'll have the opportunity to speak. But Jesus is going to let us know that no good work of God will go unchallenged. If God is doing a work in your life as you share the gospel through your life, through speech, through the encouragement, telling people the truth of Jesus, you will have opposition. I mean, the welcome screen, it's an interesting welcome screen. The welcome has been strategically placed because if we go to our actual title screen, which is called Expect Opposition, that's not really a great welcome screen. Welcome to Telios Christian Fellowship. We love you. Come. Uh, and there's a, a lion right there, right? But yet, opposition, opposition doesn't have a friendly face. Opposition is called opposition for a reason. It's either on the opposite side or it's moving in the opposite direction as you're going in. And Jesus is going to give his followers the straight scoop. And here's the scoop that you will face, not might, will face opposition as you live the gospel. You will face opposition. So the title of this morning's message is Expect Opposition. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 25. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Papa, as we come before you, we thank you that you tell us the truth, that you sent Jesus to share the truth to us and to be the truth for us. We pray this morning that if we have a tendency to be wishy-washy when it comes to the truth, to start to cave when we see that we are outnumbered numerically, and we see that, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to share this because I'm really going to deal with consequences if I tell the truth. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our spine and that you would overflow us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't be obnoxious or arrogant, but that we would have a calm and steady peace as we love people, even and especially those who oppose we can't do that in our own strength, Father. And so what we're asking for is for your power to be able to do what we can't do ourselves. We know you love this world and you love those that oppose you and hate you. Lord, that our hearts would line up with your heart when it comes to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Follow along with me. We're just gonna read the section this morning, Matthew 10, 16 through 25. Here's the pep talk, Jesus speaking. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Brother will deliver brother over to death. That's heavy. And the father his child. Whoa. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. <clears throat> a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So pretty light message today. We're just going to kind of... You know, we start right in the beginning and Jesus, as he's continuing in the preparation of what he's already told them, you know, they're out in the field right now. They're out in their mission field sharing the gospel, sharing the truth to a lost world. He told them and he warned them, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I tried to look online for a picture of uh, a sheep or a flock of sheep that were surrounded by a larger number of wolves, like a pack of wolves. And I couldn't find a picture. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. At least not for very long, right? Because if a scene like that actually existed, one sheep amongst a pack of wolves, it's not going to stay like that for very long. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. There was an article that I read about the uh, ferocious nature that a wolf can have. This was just in May of 2018, this year. And this was in the the, uh, countryside in Germany along the French border. Quote, Some of the sheep died due to their injuries after the wolves savaged them. Others are believed to have drowned as they fled in panic and fell into a nearby stream. So these sheep, they're not the smartest animals. We're called sheep. Um, They were scared. A wolf is ravaging them, attacking them. They're running out of their pen. And they ended up getting into the river, getting waterlogged with their wool and drowning. But those are the ones that drowned. According to local authorities, the wolf found its way into the animal's enclosure via the river and then savaged 32 of them. So between the 32 there and the 8 in the river, 40 sheep killed by one wolf. And Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, plural. Whoa, okay. This seems like it's going to be intense. How do I deal with that? How do I deal with the challenges when if I walk in and, and numerically there aren't a whole lot of Jesus lovers in the room? There aren't a whole lot of disciples of Jesus in the room. I mean, right here in this room, the deck is stacked, okay? But this is not the reality of what our world looks like. Okay, when we go out, we're going to be in the minority of most of the areas that we find ourselves outside of a Sunday morning or the times that we meet at church. How do we operate in the world that God has sent us out into? Because remember, these guys didn't send themselves out. Jesus sent them out. Jesus is sending us out into this world to share the gospel. How should we speak? Oh, if we see somebody that's opposed to us, we're going to just, I'm not going to be some defenseless sheep here. I'm going to pull out my little wolf club and I'm going to club you. That's right, wolf. Yeah. No. No, first of all, that's not what sheep do. They don't. Their defense is they run. That's their defense. And their strongest defense is where they run to. If they run to the shepherd, they're safe. You and I are called sheep. Our greatest defense is that we run where? To the shepherd. If you're like, I'm going to take this on in my own strength, you're going to get slaughtered. You're not equipped. 
to fight wolves on their turf. So how do we interact with people that we're opposed to? Paul said this to the church in Colossae. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, those outside of the faith, non-believers, making the best use of the time. Thanksgiving dinner. For some of us, we'll be around tables, around people we don't normally hang out with and people that may not love the Lord, right? Ah, I just wish the three hours would go by fast. You know, just want to get it over with, do my family obligation and just be done. Hold on. Time is precious and you and I don't get any more of it. So even if you're around people who are opposed, make the most of the opportunities that God has given to you. No time that God gives you should be wasted. And so the church is taught to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, those that are non-Christians. Make the best use of the time. You don't know if you'll ever get another chance to talk with them or be an example in front of them. So let your light shine. And then it goes on. If you have to talk, if you have to talk, let your speech always be gracious. Always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, because salt makes you thirsty. In other words, speak of things and speak about things in ways that makes people thirsty for Jesus. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Love this verse for so many reasons, but that ending is great. Sometimes we can look at a person and we can try to like diagnose them and be like, oh, got it. Know what your problem is. Yep. Yep. You kind of like listen to them for a little bit and be like, oh, got it. Got it. This is your issue. And we kind of group people into these arbitrary groups, right? And then we just, uh, we apply this fix to them. Oh, you got this problem. Here's, let me see. What's the fix for that? Here's the, there you go. Here's your fix. Okay. You're fixed. Great. Go ahead. Do it. I love what this verse says. We're supposed to be gracious in our speech, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each problem. No, each person. God cares about people individually. And so there are no two people that you will ever meet in this life that are identical, even identical twins. And so we have to listen carefully and pray as we're having conversations for every single person that we talk to. And we should be asking, God, what can I do to let my, let your light shine through me to reach this person? And Lord, help me not just, you know, think that they're like a cookie cutter thing. Like, oh, they're just like the other person that I met. I'm going to use the same thing that worked with them on this. Man, you just reduce a human being to a problem. They're just another number. We can't do that. And so we need to be gracious and we need to treat each person as an individual and love them and ask God individually how we could bless them. So that involves saying the right thing at the right time to the right people, which also means not saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong people. And sometimes it means not saying anything at all, just shutting your mouth and being an example. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it's our actions that speak the loudest. And then there may be a moment where God says, okay, now say something. I think sometimes, you know, we can decide to just, we're just going to talk it through. And God's like, no, let your light shine by how you act. You know, Jesus, the, um, the Pharisees tried to entangle him. They tried to get him trapped. And sometimes the opposition, those opposed to the gospel, those opposed to Jesus will want to try to trap you and I. They will want to trap us in, well, how can a loving God kill so many people? And why is there horrible things in our world if there's a loving God? Those are great questions if they're asked honestly, (laughs) because they have answers. But sometimes people ask those questions not because they want answers, but because they want to stumble you. 
And they're not even listening for an answer. They're just rapid firing questions that they don't really care about the answer for. Now, should you and I be somewhat prepared for certain basic questions like that? Absolutely, we should. We should do our homework. But we should also realize, hey, wait, even my Savior had to deal with this tactic. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees were trying to confuse, or not confuse Jesus, but trap him as far as should you pay taxes or not pay taxes. And so here we are. Um, The Pharisees went out and plotted how they would entangle him in his words. Oh, those guys, they thought they could trap Jesus in his words. Well, best of luck to you because this isn't going to happen. So they end up asking about taxes and paying to Caesar and what should you do? And they're like, whatever he answers, he's going to get himself trapped and we've got him. Later in that chapter, Matthew 22, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, look at this coin. And he said, whose image is on it? And here we are, verse 21, Matthew 22. They said, Caesar's. Caesar's image is on this coin. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. You know what I pray for at times? God, can you please give me wisdom like that? Because sometimes I feel like I'm in a trapped conversation. Sometimes I feel like, oh no, whatever I say at this point, how am I going to, oh wait, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get out of it with my own intelligence. Lord, how would you want me to answer this question properly and correctly? I think sometimes we don't ask God enough. And so God allows us to find ourselves in these questions that seem like traps for the reason why, so that we would ask him for help. Because if it was a question you could answer, why would you ask God for help? You'd just be like, I got it. I got this, God. I got this. So don't be surprised when God brings people who ask challenging questions. It's good. I I love challenging questions about Christianity and faith because it causes my faith to grow when I look for the answers. So don't be afraid of challenging questions. It goes on and it says, and Jesus continues on all this good stuff. He says, you know, be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Doves are like the, uh, the, the, uh, bird version of a, <laughs> of a sheep. Like, that's why doves are known as like, you know, when you talk about peace, you think about a dove. Uh, doves are not known for their aggressive nature. And so Christians, we're not supposed to be known for our aggressive nature. Wise as serpents? Serpents are really good at avoiding, um, uh, being trapped. They're really good at hiding. And so sometimes that can stumble us when we look and we go, serpents? You mean like like Satan in the garden? No, that's not what Jesus means here. He means being um, sharp like a serpent. Don't get yourself entrapped. Don't be foolish and don't be a sucker when you see an online forum and get baited by that troll. And you're just like, I can't take it. I'm going to respond. Well, then you're going to get what you deserve for being a fool. If you're easy to be baited, guess what Satan's going to do? He's going to bait you. And it'll never stop until you change something. You realize that some people online, they don't actually care what you think. They just love you getting, uh, they get a rise out of you getting upset. Are you a sucker for that? Stop. You're smarter than that. Stop it. Stop it. You know what you do? You do something actually effective. You pray for them. You pray for them. I've seen some, there there was some stuff and then there's an article I'll talk about here in a little bit. And I kind of saw some of the comments. And it's always dangerous when I roll down to the comments because it's just, you know, it's whatever. You know, people can say whatever with no accountability, right? You scroll down and it's just like, I'm like, dude, uh, no. And then I'm like, and then I started to go, I'm like, this guy's just a troll. He's just a troll. And so I clicked on his name just to go. And, and, and he just said, uh, um, 
his description, he goes, uh, I just like getting a rise out of people. Like that was his actual description under his thing. So I'm like, this guy doesn't even care what's being talked about. He's just going to take the opposite point, find somebody that's in the comments that's, that clearly is going to be easy to bait, and he's just going to go at them. And no doubt he's sitting behind his computer laughing away. Christian, when you face opposition, don't be that version of a Christian. You realize there's things that can be said, but I think our God can handle taking care of himself. I'm going to defend God. God's really, he can take care of himself. He's all right. He's okay. It's like the little kid that comes to dad. It's like, dad, some little boy at school said something about you. I'm sure the father's like, oh no, son. Son, go beat him up for me. (laughs) Oh, no. More than likely, dad's like, okay, that doesn't do anything to me. And you have to know this. Your heavenly father, he's not affected by the opposition or the criticism of anybody. So we can take a breath and just go, I can now pray for people that don't love God and sometimes show it by coming against me. He goes on. Jesus says this, verse 17, Beware of men, for they will... Here's some consequences that are possible and really were possible for these um, disciples, these followers of Jesus being sent out. They will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before the governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. People will oppose you if you're walking with the Lord. Sometimes you hear people going, I'm being persecuted, man, I'm being persecuted. Pastor, you see, I'm being persecuted. I got fired from my job. My boss, he's just not a Christian. He just persecuted me. It's just like, wait, what's your work ethic like? Well, you know, I'm late most days. It's like, dude, you got fired because you're lazy. It's not because you're a Christian. Stop pulling out the Christian, I'm being persecuted card because you're lazy. Stop pulling out the I'm persecuted card because you're a fool. But yet, that can happen. Oh, this is all happening because of persecution. No, it's because of your actions. These are actual consequences. Whether you are a Christian or not, if anyone else acted this way, they would face the same consequences. That's not persecution. But it is true that there will be persecution for a person who loves the Lord. And we need to realize that when we have that opposition, we're not actually wrestling against the person who's angry at us. There's a spiritual battle that's going on in the background. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For us, what are the consequences? Are we going to get flogged? Or are we going to get uh, you know, uh, crucified like the Romans would do with, uh, to make a, an example? No, not in the United States of America. However, we must not be ignorant and think that other brothers and sisters in Christ don't face that in our world today. If you lived in North Korea and they found that you had a Bible or somebody ratted out that you had a Bible, all of your possessions can be seized. All of them. And then you sent off to their many concentration camps. And yes, that's the correct word, concentration camps, where you will not be seen again. And it's times like that where we have to pray for our brothers and sisters that are facing this intense opposition. Because for us, what does opposition look like? Well, there's opposition. I'm going to give you a modern American version of opposition that happened recently. But we have to remember that when Jesus was speaking this to these disciples, they were going to face things like that. 
Jewish punishment for those that offended the law, there's lots of punishments, but one of them was to be flogged or lashed or whipped. I've never been whipped as a punishment uh, like this in my life. And yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, this happens to them. The way the Jews would do it is they'd go to the synagogue. Um, there would be, you know, they'd figure out, you know, what the offense was. And then after all that was said, they would be sentencing in a verdict. And then you would be lashed 40 times, except they would take one of them away. In other words, they would only go 39 in case they miscounted. Because 40, that's a lot of, you know, you're counting quite a bit. And you go, was that 28 or 29? I don't know. So they would only go to 39 in case they miscounted. They don't want to overgo the punishment. And as they're flogging, they're going to start off at a certain intensity and they're going to keep going because what they're looking for is a confession. So the longer the person holds out, the harder the beating, the flogging is. Which makes us think about our Savior Jesus. He was silent as a lamb when he went. And as they whipped his back, harder and harder and harder. The Romans were really good at getting a confession even if it was a false one. But Jesus was silent because he had no sin. He had nothing to confess. And so they just kept whipping him harder and harder and he took the full punishment. Paul talks about being flogged. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 and 25, this is what he says. This is the real opposition that Paul faced. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's the 39. Wait, do the, do the math right there. 195 times he was whipped because he loved Jesus. And then it says three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. This opposition, like there's, there are believers who go through challenges like this and in our climate controlled lights, seats, coffee world, we can have a hard time believing that people actually go through opposition. And then when we face even the slightest amount of it, we can shrivel up and cave because we're like, our comfort is being infringed on. When there are brothers and sisters whose lives are being given because they will not deny Christ. I think it's okay for us to have a skin that's a little thicker than a jellyfish. Okay, somebody said something to you that was a bit challenging. You're going to live. It's going to be okay. Somebody challenged your faith. Go into the Word, seek the truth, and let it cause you to grow, and let your heart be soft to the person that came against you. Because really, when it comes to the challenges that we face in America, relatively speaking, they are mild. For this pastor, if at some point what I'm sharing becomes hate speech, what am I going to do? Go to jail and get four squares a day? Three squares a day? I don't know, I've never been to jail. Whatever that is, right? So, it'll be, it's going to be the end of the world for me? No. Really, for us in America, what is the worst that we can get for being a Christian? And yet, how afraid we can be to let our light shine. And we don't even have these amazing consequences. Someone may take you to court. Oh no. That's the end of the world? Because for some people, their lives will be taken and they won't deny Jesus. I want to be more like that. 
Because if we have a heart more like that, then whatever living in our country throws at us, we'll be like, that's it? That's all you're going to do? That's nothing! I'm going to just keep preaching. You just arrest me whenever you feel like you want to, alright? I'm just going to keep going. We're going to keep threatening you. Keep going. What's the worst you can do? Christian, do you realize how much freedom you have to share the gospel? Don't let the world muzzle you out of fear. They're going to threaten you and tell you you can't talk about Jesus. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And why will you and I face opposition sometimes? In verse 17, it's really, uh, verse 18, it says, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to go through opposition to bear witness before who? Before the people who are opposing you. Think about this. God loves everybody, including people who hate him. Including people who may be high up in power, who don't care about God at all. How is God going to reach? How is the gospel going to reach those people? Here's how. God's going to allow his followers to get persecuted. And in that persecution, they're going to at times stand before some of these people of power who normally would never have the gospel. And now they have one of God's kids right in front of them. Do you get it? There may be times that you are undergoing opposition and the reason you are is so that you can be a Christ-like example to the person before you. I mean, God loved people like the governors of that time. Governors like Pontius Pilate, Felix, Festus. God loved the kings of that time, uh, the two Agrippas, Herod, Antipas. God loved the emperors, Caligula, Claudius, Nero. God loved these people. How is God going to reach people like that? You know how he's going to do it? He's going to send his kids before them. And they are going to be his example. They're going to be the gospel with feet. And they're going to end up right before him. God sent Paul on a ship ride. Granted, it was an adventurous ship ride. He eventually got there. But he ended up going all the way to Rome. Why? Because God wanted the gospel preached in Rome. So how is God going to do that? I'm going to have Paul experience opposition and I'm going to have them pay for the ride to get him to the emperor. Oh, and by the way, I love the guards in the prisons. God loves guards in prisons. How is God going to reach guards in prisons? You know how God's going to reach guards in prisons? God's going to have his kids get arrested. And Paul's there with literally a captive audience going, hey, let me tell you about Jesus since we're chained together. You realize God loved those guards. So God brought his kids there. Sometimes we think persecution and opposition, it's all about, it's coming against us. How about this? How about if it's actually all about the people that we'll be standing in front of? Hey, so what happens if you get sued? Oh no, you'll get sued. That may happen in your life. You know what? That's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for you to be a Christ-like example before a judge and everybody in a courtroom who normally may never get to hear the gospel or see what the gospel looks like. Wait, does that mean I start quoting Bible verses and doing that? If that's what God leads you to, but primarily what it is, is you are a shining example of the peace of God, even in a challenging situation. So it's not a mistake if you experience opposition. In fact, it's part of God's plan to reach people. And Jesus takes persecution. He takes opposition that you and I would feel personally. Twice in this passage, in verse 18 and 22, Jesus says, this will all happen for my sake. They're doing this to you, not because of you. They're doing it to you because of me. Don't take personally what they're doing to you. They're doing it because they hate me, not you. The world will attack you when they see Jesus in you or hear Jesus from you. I think there's this like a buffet line Jesus that the world knows. 
They have a little bit of this. Oh, he likes kids and he's the shepherd and he has this thing that he did and he heals people that are sick. And it's like going through a buffet line and grabbing just a little bit of the stuff that you like. And I believe in general, America has a buffet line Jesus. It's just the parts of Jesus that they like. They don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And then when they're actually shown who Jesus is and it's like, no, this isn't a buffet line. If you want Jesus, it's the whole meal. Oh, Jesus said that, you know, Jesus clearly is God. Even the Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying, that he was God and he made himself equal with God. So what do you think about Jesus being God? Not just some good guy or some prophet or some example to follow. How do you think about Jesus being God? I don't know about that. Well, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Because you have to take all of Jesus or none of Jesus. There's no buffet line Jesus. There's no just a bit of this and just a bit of that. And in verse 19, sometimes you're going to end up in front of people. You're not going to know what to say because you're not really good with speaking in front of people. And you're freaked out that you're not going to know what to say at a moment, a critical moment. Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you will speak or what you will say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Oh, so I don't have to like have this huge speech ready. No, you just show up with a heart going, God, I don't know how you want to use me, but I'll just... I'll just do whatever you want me to do. I'm just showing up. And God will give you the thoughts and the words to speak when you need them and not before. There was a man, Donald Cargill. He was Scottish. He loved the Lord. He spoke the truth. And he is going to be hanged. He's there at the gallows. The drums are pounding really loud as they're getting ready. And he begins to, as he's climbing the ladder, to be hanged. These are the words that came from his mouth because some of the most powerful and impacting words spoke to, spoken by Christians have happened right as they were about to face death. And these weren't pre-prepared. It's not like Donald Cargill pulled this out of his pocket and said, hold on, hold on, guys, I've prepared this speech for years. Let me share this with you. Hand over hand, going up the ladder to be hanged. And he says, the Lord knows, I go up this ladder in less fear and perturbed of mind than I Ever I entered the pulpit to preach. So he's saying coming up to preach was way more fearful than him walking, going up to the ladder to be hanged. He says he's going to say goodbye and he's going to say hello. First, the goodbyes. Farewell, all relations and friends in Christ. Farewell, all, accountant, all acquaintances and all earthly enjoyments. Farewell, reading and preaching, praying and believing, wanderings, reproaches and sufferings. Goodbye, suffering. Hey, I don't have to believe in God anymore because soon I'm going to see him. So he said his goodbyes and now he says his hellos. Welcome, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Welcome, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Whoa! 1681. Powerful words. The Holy Spirit gave him these words in the time that he needed them. And it happened to be as he was climbing the ladder on his way to his own hanging. You do not need to be worried about God giving you the right words to say. He will give them to you. He is able to do that. And it's powerful because here we are, what, that's 1681? Here we are in 2018 and we know his words. When God gives people words, they're powerful words and they stick. Verse 20 says this, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. 
So the message that you and I need to share, it's not some new message. It's not my message. It's not your message. It's God's message. So you don't even have to come up with it. You don't have to make anything up. God already gave it to us. It's the good news. It's the gospel. I told you that we would look at an uh, example of opposition in America in the 21st century, right? And I heard this story. It happened about two weeks ago. And I, you know, I hear good stories from time to time, but I always have to resist the urge to just tell you a good story because it's a good story. Because if it doesn't fit in the message, there's no reason to tell a good story. Because the word is what must be take precedent. But I believe that this story fits perfectly into this talk about opposition. I want to tell you about a senator. This is a senator, and this situation happened two weeks or so ago. This senator decided to abstain from a vote. Okay, So a vote was put forward, and this senator said, I abstain from voting. Because this senator... She's female because she abstained from this vote. An article was written about her. Remember, she didn't vote yes or no. She just said, I just choose not to vote. There were 17 other senators. And you're probably realizing, wait, 17 others. This isn't the U.S. Senate. No, it's not. There were 17 other senators and all of them decided to vote. And all of them voted yes to whatever this was, right? She said, the 18th person, I'm going to abstain. I'm just going to step back. She has the freedom to do that. An article was written about her shortly afterwards because a second meeting happened because people were outraged that she didn't vote. Let me read this to you. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle. Nanette Asimov is writing. She says, hundreds packed a Senate meeting Wednesday night to insist that she go, the senator. On social media, students, she's a student senator, a students labeled her as, quote, a horrible person and, quote, a mental imbecile. All she did was choose to abstain from voting. What? Her campus political, political party severed ties with her. And the local newspaper, no, not the local newspaper, the school newspaper, decided to run an editorial critical of her statements, but they refused to publish her own defense. Talk about freedom of speech. A newspaper saying, you know what, we're going to publish our critical editorial against you, but we're not going to publish any of your um, defense at all. Because, and here's what the paper said, we don't believe that her defense is worthy of being written. Whoa! I get it. Freedom of speech as long as it's something you want to hear. Is that what that is? What? And you're probably wondering now, like, senator, but for a school, yes. So this is not state of California senator or a U.S. senator. This is a student senator She's 20 years old. Her name is Isabella Chow. And she is a student senator at UC Berkeley. There was a bill that's being proposed by the current administration. There's Isabella right there. And what the current administration of our government is proposing, hasn't happened, but what they're proposing is that a person's gender is determined as the, as the gender that they had when they were born. Okay? That was what the proposal of the U.S. government current administration was. So that's just talk that's going around. The student council at UC Berkeley was outraged. 
And so they said, let's make a motion that says that we are going to vote and say that we disagree strongly with the administration's definition of gender as the gender you have when you're born. And so a vote was, okay, we're going to have a vote. 17 students voted and said, yes, we agree that we're going to oppose what that is. Now, here's the thing. Practically, what does that change with U.S. government? Nothing, nothing. What a college council thinks does not change one iota what the government's going to do. So, Isabella Chow sees this and she just says, you know what, I think I'm going to, as the 18th senator, this isn't really for anything, like it's not going to change anything. I'm just going to choose to abstain. And so she abstained. She has the freedom to abstain. Except, I don't think she does. At least, not the way it looked. And I wish we could shed some more light on this kind of opposition that she faced. This is a longer story, but I think it's worth it. I'm so proud of this 20-year-old. Because as far as shedding light, there's this phrase, fiat lux. Fiat lux, it's Latin. Fiat means let there be. And lux means light. I want to show you what UC Berkeley's campus looks like and their seal. The seal is in the middle and this is what their campus looks like this year. This is their 150th anniversary. And so there's these bright yellow banners all around and it says Fiat Lux, 150 years of light. And this is the seal that UC Berkeley has had since just after the earthquake in 1910. It's a star illuminating a book opened up and underneath is a phrase, let there be light. I wonder where that phrase is from. I wonder where, oh, that's right, it's the Bible. It was God who spoke it. That book is supposed to represent my wonder. The letter A in there, it's the idea that it's the alpha. It's the beginning of the book opened up and it's a book of all the wisdom. And light is shining down on this book of wisdom because you and I can't read a book of wisdom unless light shines. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, our eyes don't work if there's no light. And so the motto of Berkeley is let there be light. Is that ironic or what? And so let's shed some more light on this here. The school newspaper would not print her defense. And so... I would like to read you her full transcript. She posted it on Facebook because the full transcript wasn't posted anywhere else. And she's like, because of the confusion of, because you had, there's a thousand, at least over a thousand students that signed a petition that she has to get out of there. She can't be a senator anymore. Because how dare her abstain? And so she said, to eliminate some confusion, let me write let me give you the full transcript of what I said. Because when she abstained, she said, I abstain. And let me make a statement because you're probably wondering why I would abstain. And so she, she gave a statement. Here is the hateful thing that she wrote. Verbatim. I have said and will always say that discrimination against or harassment of any person or people group is never, ever okay. I certainly acknowledge any pain and experiences of individuals in this room who have gone through what no human being should have ever gone through. My heart breaks for you, even more so if your pain has come at the hands of bullies and bigots who purport to be Christians, but show no ounce of love and understanding that Christ came to give. These shameful individuals only perpetuate the toxic stereotypes that my community and I vehemently abhor. 
and even fight tooth and nail to strike from our identity in Christ. My God is one who assigns immeasurable value to and desires to love each and every human being. In God's eyes, and therefore my own, every one of you here today in the LGBTQ plus community as a whole is significant, wanted, and loved. Even if and when our views differ, Jesus only had the deepest love and compassion for all who came to him. I hope that my actions and words, in addition to the relationships you and I have cultivated together over the past couple years, have only demonstrated the same depth of love and compassion. That said, I cannot vote for this bill without compromising my values and my responsibility to the community that elected me to represent them. As a Christian, oh, I personally do believe that certain acts and lifestyles conflict with what is good, right, and true. I believe that God created male and female at the beginning of time and designed sex for marriage between one man and one woman. For me to love one another does not mean that I silently concur with when at the bottom of my heart, I do not believe that your choices are right or the best for you as an individual. Where this bill crosses the line for me is that I am asked to promote a choice of identities that I do not agree to be right or best for an individual and to promote certain organizations that uphold views contrary to those of my community. After lengthy conversations with many of my community leaders and advisors, I have chosen to abstain from voting on these bills tonight. In closing, I again affirm with all my heart that each of you in this room deserves nothing less than respect, acknowledgement, legal protection, and love, no matter what your beliefs. I humbly ask that you extend the same respect and acknowledgement to my community as we continue this dialogue together. The Christian community here is to love and serve this campus in the way that we know how. Thank you for your understanding and please feel free to reach out to me at any time if you want to discuss this or anything else. What a hateful thing Isabella Chow would dare to say. I want to show you some images of one week after um, her abstaining. She abstained from the vote and then word got out that she abstained. How dare she? And then the council started to come. The students came together and they met again. And this time, hundreds of students packed into this room. And you talk about sheep being sent in amongst wolves. I want to show you some of these scenes because this is all about people coming up to the mic one after another, accusing her and telling her, you need to resign. Here's some images. There's Isabella as she's sitting as she's listening to people one after... Imagine what that would be like as you're listening to one person after another, after another, after another, telling you that you are a hateful person because you simply just shared your conviction. And you'll notice that there's a banner in the background. You'll see what that banner is in just a little bit. And we continue on here. Um, They were also handing out these stickers and throughout the room, demand Senator Chow resign. And then there's some more pictures here too. There it is putting up the banner. Senator Chow, resign now. And then, and she's 20 years old. I'm so proud of my sister in Christ. For her to go, listen, I love you, but I'm not going to lie to you and I'm not going to back down just because there's more of you. And then, another picture. So there's people laughing, mocking, and jeering her And the room is packed with people. Another shot, I think. There. She circled in the yellow circle there. 
And that poster, I mean, that banner is back here on the wall. This room is full. What does opposition look like? I think in America, opposition looks a little bit more like this than the flogging. I think it looks a little bit more like this, though, this idea of, I, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. Why does it seem like there's a lot of people going the opposite direction in opposition? Because there's a lot of people going in the opposite direction. Your question and the only person you have control over is, are you going to go, you know what, I don't want to be the only person going this way, so I think I'm going to turn around and just be like everybody else. For Isabella Chow, she decided, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. And so she said, I'm not resigning. I'm not going to resign. Since nobody would post her actual verbatim statement, she put it on Facebook. She goes, just in case anybody's wondering, I'm just going to post this on Facebook so you guys can see what I actually said and you determine whether I did something wrong. And I got to say, boy, is it bringing people out of the woodwork. And you know what's awesome? Is God is using that young lady, everybody in this room, they cannot unhear the things that she said. Do you realize the gospel is being shared? It has feet And in this picture, it's Isabella Chow as she continues to stand her ground and go, listen, I'm still going to love you as you hate me. I'm going to love you as you put a poster up that says that I should resign. You can't stop me from loving you. See, with, with earthly eyes, this looks like it's all bad. From God's perspective, that's my daughter. She's doing what I asked her to do. You realize that's what God asked us to do too. You are going to end up in situations where you are outnumbered. You're called to love every single person And you're called to still stand your ground and not be afraid or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing by which a person can be saved. You know, the Oxford English Dictionary, every year it it, uh, comes up with a new word, or it's like, not a new word, it's the word of the year, right? 2016, the word of the year, post-truth. It really happened, especially after the last election cycle too, this phrase was being used over and over again. So the Oxford English Dictionary said the word of the year for 2016 is post-truth. What is post-truth? Well, there's this phrase, post-modernism. What's post-modernism? Post-modernism is, I have a truth, you have a truth. Who's to say whose truth is more? Okay, that's post-modernism. That's this idea of saying that truth actually exists, but I'm going to determine what my truth is. You determine what your truth is and just make sure our truths don't touch. Okay. That's not how the world works, but okay, fine. That's postmodernism. What's post-truth? Well, the thing is, if you're going to be honest and you're going to use truth, truth can be checked and truth can be verified. So there is no such thing as my truth, your truth. There is the truth. And the thing is, if a person starts to use the word truth, well, then let's check that truth, shall we? Well, and so now we've led ourselves into the post-truth generation. What's the post-truth generation? The post-truth generation, succinctly, is this. It's a culture that puts feelings and preferences above facts and truth. See, if you, if you actually start talking about truth, you've got to deal with truth. So what's happening now? You know what? I'm not going to talk about facts and truth. We're just going to talk about how I feel and what I prefer. That's the world we now live in. We're not going there. We are there. This is so important why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're not a believer, I hope you're not um, shut down by what I'm saying. I'm just simply reading the Word of God. I'm showing a practical, modern example. 
And if you're not a believer, I am challenging you with how do you base your life on? What is that fixed point that you measure your whole life by? And it can't be you because you change. That's a moving target. What is the fixed point that's higher than you, that has authority above you, that you are subject to, that your life is based on? You know, there's this word, I want my own autonomy. I want to say, okay, I'm going to be autonomous right now. I am a... Let's see, I want to go someplace that has some good senior citizens discounts. So I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to be autonomous for just a moment. You know what I'm going to tell you? I feel like a 60-year-old man right now. I'm only going to feel 60 years old, however. Don't worry, I'm going to declare who I am. I get to do that because I'm autonomous. Just before I walk into that restaurant, I'm going to feel and declare myself to be 60. And then I'm going to walk in and be like, can I get the senior menu, please? I know we passed Veterans Day, but you know what? Maybe on Veterans Day, I'm going to feel like a veteran. See, here's the thing. Let's take this to its conclusion. People start to declare who they are. There's no end to that. In Anchorage, Alaska, there was a women's shelter. The women's shelter had to sue the city of Anchorage, Alaska. And it's still in process now. Why would a shelter sue the city? Because the city said that it's illegal that the shelter would not allow this woman to come into the shelter. They can't just, you know, tell a woman she can't come into the shelter. Except that's what the title of the article says. You know what the actual story is? The woman is a transgender woman. In other words, it's a dude. A man says, I feel like a woman and I deserve to go into this women's shelter where there are vulnerable women who are homeless. They're in tight quarters. They're sleeping there, showering, changing. And I, in this moment, feel like a woman. So I have the right to go there. Do you understand the problem with being autonomous? Also, the word autonomous, two Latin words, auto and nomus. Auto means self, nomus, king. I'm my own king. That's what the word autonomous means, self-rule. I hope you realize that you're not your own ruler. I hope you don't live in that fantasy world where like, you actually rule everything. Really? Really? You believe that? You know how crazy this is? Let me give you one more story of craziness. Second service gets all the good stories, man, because here we go, right? Because pastor has nothing he's got to go wait for next. He's just going to go for another... No, sorry, I'm, I'm going to respect your time. Let me just share this one. I think, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Listen to this one. A guy in, uh, I think he's in Amsterdam or the Netherlands, and he's just like, you know what? I legally want to change my age. I know I'm 69, but I feel 49. So I legally want my age changed to 49 because I feel autonomous, 49 years old. When given reasons, asked reasons why and asked if he was crazy, he goes, no. You know what he said? It's the American way. That's what he said. They're looking at our country and going, hey, they just say who they are. They get to be whatever they want. Yeah, except you're lying. You don't just get to say who you are. That doesn't make it true. I'm not a 70-year-old Swedish grandmother. It doesn't matter how much I tell you I am. Because there's actual facts. Right? We laugh at something obvious like that, but yet we will let somebody go, listen, every chromosome in my body, in every cell of my body, says that I'm a certain gender. However, I feel, and they may honestly feel this way. I'm not arguing their feelings. I'm just talking about facts here. I feel like I'm the opposite one. Listen, I don't doubt that you feel that way, but I'm here to give you a little bit of light and tell you, but you're not. You may hate me for telling you the truth, but I'm still going to tell you the truth because I love you. 
If I hated you, I would lie to you. I would go, whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. But I love you enough that I'm going to risk you hating me because I decided to tell you the truth. And do you realize that's exactly what Jesus did for us? He came to this world and he told everyone the truth and he loved everyone and so many people hated him because he told them the truth. In our post-truth world, church, we are called to tell the truth and to love everybody. And if you hear somebody that decides that you know they, they've got that autonomous, my self-rule, I'm my own king, my own queen, my own, here it is, God, that's really it. Well, they're clearly not, they're, they're not God. Somebody needs to be able to lovingly speak truth into their life. And you know who God's chosen? You know who God's chosen? His kids. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. You will face opposition. Don't be surprised. Love them. I want to leave you with this uh, last verse. You'll see it here up on the screen. The very last <clears throat> verse here. 1 John 4, 4, 5, and 6. When you share the gospel, don't be discouraged when you experience opposition. Rest in this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in the world is greater than he who is... For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of, whoa, what's that word? Truth. And the spirit of error. Let's pray. Papa, as we come before you, we live in a crazy world. but I don't know that it's any worse than the world that you sent your disciples out into. I think some of the, the, the appearances on the outside look different, but I think some of the challenges are still the same, which is why your word still works, which is why the truth of the gospel still applies, because we as people haven't changed. We are in desperate need of you. God, we are who you say we are. You made us. We didn't make ourselves. God, I pray that as we interact with people who genuinely are struggling, that we would have compassion that is from You. That we would see them the way You see them. And that we would love them the way that You love them. God, I pray that we would not be afraid to tell the truth. But when we tell it, Lord, let us be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Lord, that we would value each person that's before us and that our speech would be gracious. I pray that you would allow us to reason with people. I pray that we would have less debates and more conversation. And Lord, I pray that that would start with us. I pray we would be the initiators. I pray we would be the ones that go out to those that are confused and lost. Because Jesus, we were lost and you came to us. You left heaven to come to us. That we would follow your example. Jesus, send us out 
I thank you that you've already done that. We pray for our co-workers. We pray for our fellow students. We pray for our family members. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for those in government authority, local, state, and over our entire country. God, you love every single person and you've asked us to pray for them. If our heart is wrong in the way that we look at them, then God, we ask that you change our heart because then we're off on the wrong path. We want to be where you are concerning people. God, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. I'm so thankful, God, that you didn't get tired of me when I was messing up. God, I'm so thankful when I was telling you that I'm my own God, you didn't just incinerate me for my foolishness. You sent loving people around me that reasoned with me, cared for me, and loved me. God, that we would be that to the world you've put right in our backyard. Thank you for the honor of living in Humboldt County and thank you for so many people that we can love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Interesting times we live in. Let's make our lives count. It's a short life. Let's make it count. And we'll see Jesus soon. We'll say goodbye to this world and we'll say, welcome, Lord. It's so good to be home. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.